Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Hey, this is Chad Z, roadie for Metallica, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. You're really good at that. Welcome to Metal Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. And this is episode 171. We're going to take a little break from the Monday Metallica shows, and we're going to dive back into, a few years back, just a few, to 2003, a year in the life of Metallica. That's right. My family and I are going to visit my parents uh, who who uh, live in Alabama. We're going to visit them this weekend, and so it was just going to be impossible. I'm not going to be home on Monday. So it's possible that we might still do the Metallica Monday commentary on Tuesday, depending on how kick-ass the show is. So we'll have, we'll have to wait right. and see. And in the meantime, it kind of feels good to be back in the saddle doing a, a more business-as-usual Metal Up Your Podcast episode. I don't know if you feel that way, too, Ethan. Absolutely. No, I'm excited to do this one, for sure, uh, just to cover another year in life of the band. Um, of course, the you know the Monday night shows have been super fun to to do commentary along to and and kind of interact with people in the ever so fast flowing chat section Brazil. Um, but yeah, it, this does feel good to get back back to our uh, normal uh, modus operandi. Here. Right. If you're joining us for the first time, we are an all Metallica podcast, and we probably do have some new folks coming because I was on a couple of different shows in the last weeks. So I want to mention them real quick. One is called the Hook Podcast. The Hook Rocks with a really cool dude named Jay who listens to our show. And he's got a great podcast about sort of what is it what is it that got you hooked on music? And so you have sort of have that conversation. Mm. And then we went on a deep dive into the uh, the transition of Metallica from Justice for All to Black Album in the Bob Rock era. So <clears throat> if you guys aren't sick as hell of hearing me talk about Metallica, you can go hear about another hour's worth <laughs> over there. And uh, so anyone new, welcome to the show. Uh, Ethan and I are two professional touring musicians who make time each week to talk about our favorite metal band, the Mighty Metallica. This week's no different. Well, unless we're considering it different, meaning there's a global pandemic and we are practicing safe social distancing and we are in our respective studios. That is true. We are about, I don't know, 20 minutes away from each other right now. We have been for the last couple of months. I haven't seen Clint. Uh, I saw your wife because I loaned, loaned you guys that pressure washer and then I came by to pick it up, but you were not feeling great. So I haven't seen you in person in quite a while. It sucks. Right. right. I know. It's really shitty. I just miss but... you. I just miss you so much. <laughs> And I think a lot of people are feeling that way. And of course, the, the country is starting to reopen a little bit. And so uh, I, I don't think we'll be involved with much of that personally. I'm not sure it's the wisest thing, but um, but it's going to be an interesting couple of months for sure. Needless to say, whatever crazy stuff's going on in the world, we here at Metal Up Your Podcast Industries will be here to help you get through your Mondays, your Tuesdays, your everydays, honey, please. Every, every day we're here. Come on. Socials, we're everywhere. So we do this series called A Year in the Life of Metallica, where we go through in excruciating detail all the things that happened to the boys in their active years. And we were at 2003, which means, Ethan, we're about to be heavily camped out in one of the most divisive eras of Metallica's entire au revoir, mm-hmm. the St. Anger era. So here we are. I mean, this is the year that they released the album. 
We're going to do our commentary, listen through of the album. We're going to revisit some kind of monster, the documentary, the bonus content, the Joe Berlinger book about the making of the documentary. We're going to revisit the Presidio sessions. A lot of delitzats, I think, are in our in our next couple of months. I think you're correct, Clinton. That's, I will be hovering above, on my carpet above uh, your prospective studios, checking back and forth and see how things are going. And how, what's the what is the magic sauce that, that, that makes the carpet take flight? Uh, well, I seem to have forgotten what it was before, but I have all sorts of different recipes. And uh, currently, uh, uh, I take uh, the blackened whiskey and... Uh, I have it in a container underneath the carpet, and it's actually so strong that it lights on fire. Uh, but it burns clean, so uh, it's good for the environment. And uh, I can hover back and forth between uh, the Bay Area and Nashville, Tennessee, and Murfreesboro, where I was first born. Wow. Well, you know, speaking of black and whiskey, Torben, there's some interesting Metallica news that we'll get to real quick before we jump into 2003. So the boys have unveiled a limited edition blackened whiskey vinyl box set. It's really cool looking. So, what comes in that? I'll, well, I'll tell you. Thank you for asking. Tell, tell us now, Clint. <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, a pair of vinyl picture discs containing the playlist used during the spirit aging process. Which, So, if you don't know, oh. Black & Whiskey is Metallica's uh, brand of whiskey. And the, one of the cool different things that they do is they blast the barrels of whiskey with playlists of their own music. <laughs> and I suppose uh, the theory is that different playlists will create different tasting whiskey. I don't think my palate, Ethan, is sophisticated enough to, to tell the difference between the Blackened yeah. Barrel and the Dyer's Eve Barrel. I, th- I think you're right. Um, and I'm guessing the science behind it is, is based off vibrations in, in the barrel, and that helps the aging process or whatever to bring out The science flavors. behind it is based off the Beach Boys song, Good Vibrations, I've heard. Oh, okay. Right. That, make, you know, that makes more sense. There's now. a lot of science in that song, and they, what they did is they just read the lyrics a lot of times. Mm, okay. And then they, they sort of coded the lyrics, and through that came up with a distillation process of whiskey. Who'd have thought? Love it. Who would have thought that? So it's Batch 100, comes with a brand new playlist, also comes with a blackened zine, a magazine, pics, and stickers. There's a clip we were going to play of Lars sort of unboxing it, but just imagine his introductions to the Metallica Mondays, and then imagine he's unboxing a box of whiskey. It's <laughs> it took a little very while. long. Um, but it is nice to see Lars in good spirits, and uh, no pun intended. And, uh, you know... I, the blackened whiskey, I like the whiskey. We've had a few bottles ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, thanks to some of those people over there that we've we've partnered with a little bit. But I don't know if I'm interested enough in the whiskey part to want to get a box set. I mean, I guess I the mean, completists out there are going to want to dip their toes into this water. But That's what I was going to say is I think the, the, the people out there that are, are legit collectors of Metallica stuff, no matter what it is, this is kind of the item for you. Like... The picture disc thing would be super cool to have, but it's all songs that we already have on vinyl. Uh, it's just, it's your basically going to cool looking picture disc. Um, so yeah, for me, it's like, you know, if someone bought this for me as like a birthday present and be like, wow, this is rad. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to these and whatever. But yeah, I'm not running. I think, I think the street price is 150 on this, which I guess isn't that bad. Because the the whiskey itself is what fifty or sixty bucks, something like that, yeah. And then you're getting all this other exclusive shit. I mean, it's a little bit sort of the kissification of Metallica. Mm-hmm. You know the the what else? You know what else can they sell us? But um, 
<laughs> but it's interesting, you know, and, and I'm glad the whiskey's good. Mm-hmm. And for those of you out there who enjoy collecting this shit, here's another fun thing for you to have. Now, in direct contrast to the kissification comment I just made, which I hope that didn't butter anybody. <laughs> uh, another thing that's cool in the news is in the month of May, they've been through their charitable organization, which we should all know by now, the All Within My Hands Foundation. They've been doing a month of giving. Um, which is pretty cool. I want to read a little bit of their blurb about it. So basically every week they're choosing a different charity to donate money to that they're getting from the uh, the Metallica store, all their merch, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So the press release says, in more typical times, we would be hosting our All Within My Hands day of service at local food banks across the country this month, this month which you have done, Ethan. You've done, I you've did, yeah. done the Metallica day of service. Last year. But this year is different. Inspired by the hashtag Giving Tuesday now, we decided to make May our month of giving to do our part in meeting the unprecedented need by co- uh, caused by COVID-19. Rather than focusing on one campaign this year, every Tuesday throughout May, we will spotlight a different organization we're supporting through All Within My Hands. So uh, week one, they did Feeding America. They reached out to our partner food banks across the United States and asked them what, in their own words, they needed most of at each location, and they provided that, which I awesome. think is a really unique take on that instead of just giving things like actually finding out what do you need yeah you know, totally like actually engaging there's a lot of nonprofits out there that you know will t- accept donations for things but sometimes they they end up having an overabundance of, of supplies you know and, and then and, and in that regard supplies they need will be lacking so it's you're right it's cool that they're actually trying to get specifics as what these needs are to these different places Week two, they continue with Live Nation's Crew Nation initiative, assisting touring and venue crews who depend on live shows to make a living. They also introduced us to some of their crew members who've worked tirelessly to bring the worldwide tour to fans around the world. So they were trying to highlight, and this is pertinent to us, Ethan, they were trying to highlight the people in the music industry who are behind the scenes who mm-hmm. are, have also lost work, crew members and and uh, and uh, touring assistants and all of that stuff, uh, promoters and and all of it. Uh, local hands and stuff. Oh yeah, list goes on. Week, week three, they spotlighted the United States Bartenders Guild, another fucking awesome thing they're doing, and the Bartender Emergency Assistance Program, which exists to support vital members of the service community who are no longer able to earn wages and take home tips with the closure of bars, restaurants, and venues. I've seen a lot of cool things um, circling around with funds to to help people who work in the service industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, while absolutely. There's been no bars and restaurants, so. Anyway, that's I thought that was really cool that Metallica's doing that. And so we're, we're we're going into the last week of May and we'll see on Tuesday what they uh what they're throwing some money at. I think it's the Metal Up Your Podcast Foundation. Wow. I, you know, yeah. I hadn't heard that, but that sounds about right to me. Yeah, it's an, it's an, it's an uh it's a for-profit um <laughs> uh thing that me and uh, sorry, not me. I would never do that. Uh these two guys that do this podcast and uh they they decided to give it to us, which is crazy. Um, so thanks guys i've heard that for their give give tuesday hashtag tuesday thing um that they've they've decided to give us an unprecedented 17 million dollars and it doesn't even stop there ethan they've also invited us to be um full members of the band wow meaning meaning full and and getting getting all the back royalties from all the years that we weren't official members gosh i mean that's amazing they really are this is really a month of giving and it's it works out so well for us because normally May for us is the month of taking. So this works right. out perfect. It's perfect, right? Right. Our two our two paths are are crossing here in a really beautiful spiritual Worlds way. I might add. Colliding, <laughs> you were there. All right. So uh, that's enough of that. 
If you like the show, you think the show has value, we have a lot of new listeners. Here's the really easy way to support the show is tell your buddy about it. Tell your mom about it. Tell your Aunt Joyce about it. Tell Aunt oh, Joyce's dog, Lucius, about oh, it. Oh, don't forget to tell Valentino as well. There's another way you can support the show, which is by supporting us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Metal Up Your Podcast. We got a new patron this week. I want to give a shout out to Michael Krusty. I'm clapping. Clapping. Clapping for you, Michael. Clappity, clap, clap, clap. The people over there just are amazing, and, and of course, we've talked about it a lot, but we give away a lot of stuff to our patrons. So as soon as you sign up, you're going to get a bunch of EPs, four, four EPs of cover songs, all 20 of our current quarantine covers, all the songs I write and record every month, Lunar Satan, bonus Let It Burn stuff, uh, opportunities when the world opens back up to go to concerts like S&M and Sling Castle, see the band, exclusive merch, vinyl, box sets, all that's over there. As a way to say thank you for supporting us on Patreon. We're on all the socials. You can find us. It's not hard. You want to talk about our nightly Metallicas on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, yeah, those are the main three platforms that we're on. We're, of course, we're on YouTube, Spotify, all that and stuff. But uh, if you follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, we've been doing this for the last month. And it's everything from doing little guitar mini battles to riff battles where me and Clint will actually film ourselves playing certain riffs or the guitar minis. Uh, lately, we're kind of jumping back into questions, gear questions, stuff like that. Um, I kind of find it funny in the last few nights, I'm choosing two things and I'm like, that'll probably be the more popular one, but I, I'm choosing it cause I actually love the less popular one. And then I just get completely shut down. <laughs> mm. Like for instance, last night it was like, it was Kirk's mummy guitar versus the bride of Frankenstein guitar. And I prefer the bride of Frankenstein guitar. I like the color and all that stuff better. And then like every response was like, mummy, mummy, mummy. So I got to start rethinking, uh, <laughs> rethinking my choices here, <laughs> but it's a good time. So, so join us over on uh, the social media world. You can find us pretty much anywhere. Just type our name. You know how to do that thing. And uh, yeah, and follow along. It's fun to get involved in the discussion and see what people are talking about as far as what their favorite thing is, A or B, whatever we decide to throw out there in the world. And we've pretty much been doing that every night since mid-March. So it's just, mm -hmm. in, in such a strange time, it's just something to sort of look forward to. And it gets people talking about Metallica. It gets people engaged. It's been really nice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm going to be playing two of our quarantine covers uh, before and after our conversation about 2003. I'll be playing my cover of The Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me. And then we'll be playing Ethan's amazing version of Hollow Notes. You're out of touch. That's right. These were requested by patrons. If you go join us on Patreon, as I mentioned before, you get to choose what songs that uh, we might cover. Ethan's other uh, podcast is called The Pirate Satellite. My other podcast is called I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. And now we will move on into what we lovingly refer to as the, the email, email portal. All right, our first email is from Andy Salter. He says, hey, boys. Hey, boy. Hey, boys. Hope all is well and you guys are keeping busy during this shitty time. I'm writing to commend the new, uh, the, recommend the new documentary by Adam Dublin called Murder in the Front Row. It's a history of the Bay Area thrash scene and, uh, and its birth. It's mostly about Metallica and Exodus, but touches on the big four as appearances by Ray Burton, heaps of footage of Kirk and James telling the history of the band and scene. Uh, maybe the best doc to tell this early story uh, anyway, stay safe. All the love from Tasmania, New Jersey. And, oh, Tasmania. Awesome. I've been there. Tasmania is beautiful. It's near Hoboken. It's near Hoboken. Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful place. Though. Yeah, you, well, you've heard of the Hoboken Devil. Uh, it's yeah. Technically, right. it's called the Tasmanian Devil, but most people call it the Hoboken Devil. Well, I want to give a shout out to Chris Yurgis, Metalliclaws himself, who sent me a copy of the DVD. Awesome documentary. It's getting great reviews. It's apparently really insightful. And the idea is for me and you to watch it together and do an episode. However, there we're quarantined, so that's true. So 
maybe we can do a social distancing hang on the back porch and watch it on my projector. We we'll projecting. We've been projecting films on my house. Yeah, same over and, here. Uh, maybe do a little bit of remote remote recording in my backyard. We could, yeah. That'd be kind of a good time. That might be pretty fun, right? It might be pretty weird. We'll look into that for sure. Get some long XLR cables out there and do some commentary along with it. Dan Stewart writes, hey, friends, this is Dan on Instagram. I recognize it at Dirty Pots. He says, uh, just wanted to fire you both a note of encouragement. About a year ago, I bumped into your podcast. At the time, I was experiencing a real dry spell with music, which was difficult because playing and listening to music has been a big part of my life. Not sure if you can relate, but nothing was clicking anymore, and even some of my favorite artists were growing stale. Then along came Metal Up Your Podcast, and the two of you not only reinvigorated my love for Metallica, my favorite band as a late 90s, early 2000s teenager, but restored my appetite for discovering music. Through your stories, experiences as songwriters, and compelling arguments, I'm now listening to more music than I have in years, and many of the artists I have on repeat are ones you've discussed on the show, including Ethan's Let It Burn album. Case in point, I made a mixtape for a bunch of friends recently and realized that about a third of the artists were ones that you've played on your radio sessions. Wow. That's really cool. I hope this note helps you keep your heads up today. I'm sincerely grateful to have your personalities in my earbuds during the week, including the Metallica Mondays. Cheers, Dan from Vancouver. Vancouver. Man, that's really cool. It, it's it's fun to, that people are, are getting a little something out of other songs we play on the show and stuff like that and kind of expanding their you know their musical taste and stuff that's really that's he's right that's very encouraging to to read yeah for sure thanks dan thank you dan next email is from sean he says hello torben and dave uh proud patron newest listener and second time mailer here firstly i must say that i'm vicariously living through uh, living my life through the podcast and alternate and and disparate timelines that's a good uh like subtext for like a movie or like a, in a world with alternate and disparate timelines. <laughs> and this time it's disparate and double crossed by the government. Lunar Satan descends to earth. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm eating, eating up every Metallica money commentary episode and religiously br- uh, binging and purging through the back catalog currently uh, on the top 10 album art episode. Wow. That seems like forever ago. I have a question about guitar playing uh, as your inclusive and chilled vibe has inspired me to pick up an instrument for the first time in my life. That's so awesome. Tell me this. Uh, how long will it take me to go from my current level of plunking my way for the th- first three bars of Happy Birthday to shredding Kirk's love from the Unforgiven? Uh, at least about a week, I'd say. A week or two. You'll be fine. <laughs> Depends on how much you're practicing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm a realist, but, uh, but just wondered how each of your relationships with your first guitars developed in the very beginning and how long it took for uh, the penny to drop allowing to feel like you were making good progress on a side note and more uh, metalla related In your opinion, why, is, uh, why has Kirk and his techmen so, uh, so far unable to crack the code on his live clean tone? Uh, it says, keep up the good work. Thanks for keeping my Tuesday mornings rocking from Sean. P.S. Is anybody starting to get worried about some meme? Bro, we've been worried about him for months. <laughs> tell you that right away i mean jokingly we're worried about him but in real life what probably happened is he got off the ride which is what happens with people so that's I'm totally sure fine fine yeah um although i am happy to hire a private investigator and uh use the patreon funds to uh scourge yeah. the earth to try and find some memes somewhere he's just like a normal dude working at his job and we have the swat team break down the doors and- <laughs> he doesn't realize that there's still thousands of people that are wondering where he is right now <laughs> In terms of guitar playing, you know, I I distinctly remember when I was a kid being really not great at it for a long time. I mean, for mm-hmm. about for about two years, I was real uh, scrappy on the old guitar. 
And then, you know, you just level up in small ways and something clicks. And it, it, it's hard when you're older just because you don't have the time you had when you were a kid. And you're a kid that just had a lot of a lot of summer days that might right. have been spent outside, but just cramming this stuff in my brain. Mm-hmm. And it's a slow evolution of your left and right hand figuring out how to work together and then assimilating all the information in your brain about chords and phrasing and scales and music and it's 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 just different for everybody you know so it's hard to say absolutely i think for me uh it maybe clicked a little bit earlier not that i was that i was any better earlier but the click for me was learning a certain song from my guitar teacher from my dad um when i was able to do the strumming part right and get the chords the, the transition smooth all of a sudden i'm like oh once it sounded like the song I knew, then that those were the clicking moments for me. And that would go on to happen, you know, thousands of times, you know, it's like, oh, I can finally play that. And it sounds like the record. And that was only just encouragement to keep going. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, in terms of why they haven't been able to crack the code on Kirk's clean tone, it's a mystery to me. I mean, the, the, well, the answer really is that Kirk likes it. That's the, I was that's say, the tone. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's any code code cracking to to happen. I think that's just what he what he digs, and we yeah. may not dig it, but that's his his deal. Yeah, it's really I guess is as simple as that. Thank you for the email, Sean. Really appreciate that. And what an honor that that listening to the show has inspired you to pick up an instrument. It's one of the most rewarding yeah. things you'll ever do in your life is 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 learn an instrument. And uh, we wish you good luck out there, sir. Hang in there. Awesome. Jonathan Scheisler says, Good morning, Ethan and Clint. My Tuesday morning ritual and rewatch of the Met on Monday with you guys coming through my cans. Longtime Metallica fan, my introduction was the opening show for the Damage Justice Tour in the U.S. for my 13th birthday. I was lucky to see them a lot in my musical formative years in the Toledo-Detroit area, most notably the Nowhere Else to Rome Tour. I think it was the first show with Newstead post-hair chopping, which people forget. Newstead was the first to cut his hair. He was the first one to go down, for sure. Uh, I really appreciate you, too. I was fortunate to hear about your podcast on the Metallica subreddit not too long ago. And after a few listens here in quarantine time, I had no choice but to contribute. Uh, I've enjoyed the interactions on the socials, too, and even hearing about your personal struggles and concerns in these uncertain times. I run a research lab at UNC Chapel Hill. And my lab went from 27 people down to four due to all the restrictions and changes. We've shifted our efforts towards the virus and COVID, which has kept me engaged and fired up intellectually. Your podcast has been such a great time to escape between work, homeschooling my kiddos, trying to stay in shape mentally and physically. My wife's a critical care nurse, so we're very blessed to still be employed during all of this. I can't imagine how you guys feel to be stuck in stasis with your careers, but I'm confident you'll emerge on top and your successes will continue. Oh. Well, I certainly hope so. He says, speaking of my job, my passion for music extends into some of the articles I write. Nearly all of my review articles, which are essentially summaries of current research topics, use song or album titles as sources of inspiration. So he's given us some examples here. He says his favorite is Seek and Destroy, the ubiquitin proteasm system and cardiac disease. Wow. So these are... These are papers he's writing called things like Appetite for Destruction, Hey UPS, You Spin Me Round, Build It Up, Tear It Down, Won't Get Fooled Again. So he's injecting some of his love of this music into his job, which I think is really funny. He says, I hope you get a little smile out of this email as you've provided several to my days. Look forward to more Metal Up Your Podcast, and I will be on the lookout when you guys get back on the road. When you come to the Raleigh area, cocktails on me, Metal Up Your Ass, and Podcast Brothers. Jonathan. That's cool, Thank Jonathan. You, Jonathan. Well, maybe you can hire me and Clint at your research lab. Do you think we have the experience as touring musicians to work in a research lab? I think so. I'm just amazed to see that someone so smart and working in the sciences is on is on Reddit, <laughs> you know? <laughs> or, or listening to us. <laughs> Which I kid because I, I lurk on Reddit every day, but, you know, Reddit is mostly filled with it's basically like YouTube comments, you know? Yeah, I don't ever, ever go Reddit on Reddit. Reddit can get really dicey. 
Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. Our next email is from Corey Goodlett. He says, Dear Mother, Dear Father Earth. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I got to say a quick shout out to anybody that starts their emails with a good inside joke from the show. Always, always puts a smile on my face. Uh, he says, hey, guys, just want to say hi and thanks for all hi and thanks for all you do with the show. Uh, it's a high point of my week. Hello, hello, hi, hi, hi. Uh, especially during the quarantine. Uh, with the recent Metallica Monday stream going on, I've been thinking it'd be do a, a fun conversation to hear and a fun shirt to have if you did an episode on your dream Metallica sets. I'm almost certain there, uh, there's something you've covered in earlier episodes. So sorry if I'm uh, reiterating here. Um, yes, we have in the past. We've done... Uh, well, before SNM two was even a thing, we did SNM two, where we came up with mm-hmm. our own SNM set list and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, there's always room to do something like that. At some point, it's like a little sub, you know, sub game on the show or something like that. So he says, for the sake of conversation, here's my list cap it at sixteen songs. Uh, Sandman uh, uh, put it back in the opening slot right after Ecstasy, uh, Creep, Harvester, Fuel, Nothing Else Matters, Horseman, Orion, Hardwired, Master, Last Caress, Blitzkrieg, Rome, Sanitarium, Black, and Encore One, Battery, Encore Two, One. He says, again, sorry if this is something you've already covered. Don't want to eat up all your time. In the email portal, uh, so I'll close with this. Please give us a new Explore the Big Four episode soon. I need to hear Rain and Blood with commentary. Thanks again. Keep up the good work. Corey G. from Louisville, Kentucky, New Jersey. Well, we're we're working on, uh, we, we thought we had cracked a code right before we started this new episode where... We can share our screens and share the audio, and there's no glitchy, laggy, right. shitty stuff. And then uh, we found out kind of last minute that that's not the case. So we're still working yeah. on a way to do those kinds of episodes remotely. Um, but I promise you this, my friend Corey, that the next one we do, which will be soon, will be Rain and Blood. How yeah, about that's that? Right. How about that for a nice metal up your podcast guarantee you like that up there in louisville new jersey you like that thank you Corey, for the email you can write in uh we love hearing from the metal up your podcast listeners it's metal up your podcast show at gmail.com let's kick it out of the email corner and talk about 2003 let's do it Hey everyone, this is Ethan and Clint. We're here to tell you about supporting the show via Patreon. That's right. Every week, Ethan and I work hard to bring you the best Metallica content possible. If you think the show has value, consider supporting us on a financial level at Patreon. For $5 a month, or the price of two cups of coffee, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast continues to grow in quality and content. But that's not all. In addition to being able to help sleep at night for supporting your favorite podcast, we've also come up with incentives to say thank you that are exclusively available to patrons. For example, for a pledge of $5 or more, you immediately get free downloads of every cover our world black and ep ticket giveaways for shows like snm2 and slaying castle box sets rare vinyl metallica memorabilia like snm2 guitar picks email priority meaning we'll read your email first on the show with a chance to ask guests like hailstorm jay weinberg of slipknot and metallica row crew your very own questions and the opportunity to come on the show as a guest for our metal tales bonus episodes in which you can tell us all about any Metallica show you've been to in the past. All this and more for becoming a patron and supporting Metal Up Your Podcast. We couldn't do this show without you, and to everyone on the ride with us, we sincerely thank you. Peace. Adios. Really quick, before we jump into 2003, I wanted to play our quarantine covers. Uh, you can just skip ahead if you don't want to hear this, if you want to jump right into the sauce. But I, I thought these were really fun. This one was recommended that we cover by Angelo Gonzalez, a good friend of the show and a patron. And uh, the, you know, these songs are just different takes on the, the original classics and in some cases, uh, quite a lot to live up to. So mm-hmm. we're going to hear my cover of Don't You Forget About Me by The Wonderful Simple Minds. And then we're going to talk about uh, 2003. So here you go. Enjoy. All right. Thank you. 
All right. Well, there you have it. It's as simple as that. You can join us on Patreon and you can be a part of the wonderful Quarantine Cover Series. And one day we shall release a box set of thine. So before we jump into 2003, I've been doing this on the Year in the Life episodes where I kind of briefly want to recap uh, the year before to give us a little bit of context, right, for what happened in what I call 2002. At a glance. At a glance. I use my monocle to look into the past. I can see just at a glance through my monocle. Only a glance, though. Yes. So this is just really quick bullet points. April 14th. I mean, 2002 was a pretty slow year. Yeah. Because James was still dealing with stuff and getting out of rehab. But uh, so anyway, here we go. April 14th, they did the first ever MTV icon where they basically introduced Aerosmith. I remember it was James's like first appearance, public mm-hmm. appearance out of rehab. May That's 1st, right. the St. Anger Sessions resume at the newly constructed HQ. You can see a lot of this in the documentary that, once again, we will be covering again. May 8th, Lars and Kirk perform with Sammy Hagar at the Fillmore. June 4th, the secret gig at Chemo's with Bobby Rock on bass. July 6th, the relaunch party for Metallica.com at HQ in which a couple of fans played bass on some jams. That's right. November 12th, the Bench and Purge right. is released on DVD. December 10th, the horrible We Did It Again is released. The collaboration with Swiss Beats and Ja Rule. Yeah, it was real bad. Like, real bad. Not a great moment. It really isn't. But if out of a 40-year career, you're you're not great moments, you can count on one hand, you're doing okay. You're doing just fine. Yeah, totally. Well, and this is such a small one, too. Sure. I I honestly didn't even know about it until we covered 2002. Well, because I'm sure Q Prime Management buried it immediately when it didn't. Squash it. it. (laughs) Kill it. This was a horrible idea. We literally just put it out. Kill it. <laughs> Why'd you make us do that? And I also get it too, because it, that was something that Lars and Kirk did while they didn't know what was going on with James. So they were just trying to do something creative. They were just trying to put do something to get their minds off of what was going on to sort of keep Metallica alive. Right. It was definitely a genre change and trying to cross genres and push themselves artistically. So all the, it's, it's like with Lulu, it's like all the reasons that they decided to do it are what I love about Metallica. But that doesn't mean that mm-hmm. everything they try is going to be worth a shit. That just can't be the case. No, of course not. Yeah, sometimes it's a swing and a miss. Sometimes you're, you're fouling them off into left field. And other times it's a home run. Uh, the, the jaw rule Swiss beats, Swiss beats thing, I'm just going to go ahead and say that uh, that was just a full-on strikeout. <laughs> oh, and two, third pitch comes down the pipe, and you just miss it again. And right. Okay, but... But it's okay. It's okay. We still love them, of course. We have so, the Venn diagram on on uh, the people who love both our show and baseball is so is so large that we have to just every once in a while dip into a little bit of baseball metaphor just so that people can simply understand That's right. what we're trying to say. Metallica at the plate. Uh, Lars Ulrich <laughs> up to bat. Oh for two. Here comes the pitch. It's a side one. It's straight across the plate, and he misses. Of course, that pitch was threw out by Swiss Beats and caught by Ja Rule. I'm just gonna sell up that I just I just called a pitch the sidewinder. <laughs> yeah, I was like surprised by it. I'm like, wow, Ethan's really drawing from a, a deep well here of, of this. It's character. a new pitch that they're working on during during quarantine. Here's the fun thing about 2003 coming off 2002 is is it's a kind of a normal active album release year, and you know it's not our favorite album, but it's nice to see them doing things like making videos, releasing videos, releasing the singles, getting prepared mm-hmm. for the album to come out. There was a shitload of anticipation about St. Anger because the boys have been floating out a lot of a lot of sound bites saying that uh, you know, that it was heavy again, that they were getting back to their roots and A, B, right. and C. I don't think that's what happened at all. There's still people that I encounter who are like, man, it was just them getting back to thrash. And I'm like, I don't think so, dude. That record doesn't sound anything like Kill 'Em All or anything. Yeah. 
there's thrashy moments on there, but that's about it. But the same way there's thrashy moments on the Black Album, but Black Album's just a far superior record. Right. So, okay, well, let's just get into it. So January 19th, sort of the first thing on the books for the boys officially. They played... Now, I, I remember watching this show. This is them playing on a truck bed in Oakland, California. It's it's featured on the FanCan 5, pre-game entertainment for the Raiders. Well, this is, again, with Bob Rock on bass. They're all wearing jerseys, mm-hmm. except for Lars, who is shirtless. Looking sexy. The set list was Fuel, Puppet, Sad, Bell, Seek, and Battery. So definitely a little bit of a Greatest Hits sting in there. Mm-hmm. And I guess that would be kind of the last time that Bob Rock played bass with the boys until the 2011 30th anniversary shows where he played Dirty Window and Frantic. Were those the two he played? think so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there was ever any intention in him joining the band. Well, he talked I mean, about it a little bit saying, like, I don't know if he was officially asked, but he did say something like, you know, I've got seven kids and I live in Vancouver and I'm 10 years older than those dudes and they need, you know. Right. He kind of said things like that, like, I don't know if the language was that he turned it down or that did they ever ask? I don't know. Maybe he kind of said that to save face because once you start, right. once you play bass on the whole new album and you're playing bass on these shows, people are wondering what's going on. Is he the bass player or is yeah. he not, you know? Absolutely. Well, I wonder too at this point if they if if fans even knew that he had played bass on it yet on the album. Because you know, some because some kind of monster hadn't come out. And we didn't see all the footage of him playing, but everyone knew Jason was gone. So it was just kind of like, oh, cool, Bob Rock's filling in on bass or whatever. So maybe it wasn't that big a deal back then. Well, and we're actually going to get into a little bit of what you just mentioned. So the next thing I have in my notes is February fifth. The boys announced the Summer Sanitarium. 2003 tour with Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park, Deftones, and Mudvayne, which is a, a lineup almost as horrible as the one that I saw, which was System of a Down, <laughs> Power Man 5000, Kid Rock, and Korn. I'd be and, cool uh, with Linkin Park and Deftones. I mean, it's fine. It's just... They're both it's, good live bands, though. Yeah. They're all bands that I would just tolerate just to see Metallica. I'm not going to see any of these bands by themselves. I'll tell you that. Right. Right, and with all due respect, with all due respect to all of these bands, none of them are in the league of Metallica, in my opinion. Well, like for instance, on the on the worldwide tour, worldwide tour, like when we went up to Detroit, like I didn't care about seeing any opening bands, but if it was someone like the Deftones who I already like, or Lincoln Park who I'd seen in the past and uh, put on such an incredible show, I might have been like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll go watch that. But the other, any, the other bands that who was even opening again? Were they called? I always forget. Avenged Sevenfold and Volbeat. That's what Volbeat. I don't like either of those bands. So again, no disrespect to them. It's just I don't like them. So I'm just there for Metallica. But it just depends on who's opening. But to me, Volbeat and Avenged Sevenfold make more sense. You know, they just make more sense as a as a band for like. I'm about to read some pretty brutal um, uh, Jason comments about this whole issue that really rung true to me. In terms of the album being definitely a ploy, it's like the first time Metallica ever tried to make music that sounded like what was contemporary. And right, yeah. So they're like, well, we made a new metal kind of record. Let's take out P- P- Power Man 5000 and Corn and Limp Biscuit. I mean, mm-hmm. Linkin Park's definitely a step above that, in my opinion. And there yes. are certain aspects of Corn. And of course, System of a Down is, is cool. Kid Rock, I like Kid Rock, but just together as a package with Metallica, does feel a little gross. I, I can't really explain that, but yeah, it's it's well, it's very 2003. I mean, all, a lot of these bands were kind of hitting hitting their stride at this time. So check this out. This is from Joel McIver's book, which is called Metallica: uh, Justice for All: The Truth About Metallica. And now this is real fresh <clears throat> off Newstead leaving the band, right? So the speaking of the boys teasing what the album might sound like, they were saying things like like Kirk Hammett said that the new song sounded a lot like Swedish death metal band Meshuga. 
To which Lars responded, uh, I think Kirk's Meshuggah comparison is a little limiting. I hear shades of Hatebreed and Entombed in there. So this <laughs> is so this is Newstead responding to that, right? Uh, it says, some found this harder to believe than others. Jason Newstead, for example, told MTV News, Kirk got quoted about their new record sounding like Entombed. How can it sound like Entombed? How? Who's playing bass to make it sound like Entombed? Jace is a good, Jace, uh, James is a good bass player, but come on, dude. Lars, he hasn't practiced enough drums over the years. He let his art fall away from him. He doesn't have the same finesse he used to have. So how is it going to sound like Entombed and have that energy? So that is Jason basically started being like, huh? That's pretty, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty brutal. I mean, he's being honest and he's being serious. He, he, he's not wrong. But I mean, it's just, it's just, it's always with the guy like Jason always kind of taking the positive road. It's always weird to hear him throw out any kind of, any kind of dig, whether it be truth or not. But it's just funny too of like, he's just kind of keeping the integrity there also, which is very much him of like, they're, it, you know, it sounded like maybe, maybe Kirk and, and Lars are maybe blowing it up a little more than is even possible. And Jason's like, dude, right. I was in the band for 14 years. There's no way you guys sound like entombed. Yeah, <laughs> which I've never heard in tune, by the way. So uh, I wouldn't know or care. Uh, then he goes on to mention: uh, Have you ever heard in tune, Ethan? It's been a while, but I have in the past have heard them. But I been a I while since I heard in tuned. Now speaking of like the summer sanitarium tour being announced, Limp Bizkit, Lincoln Park, etc. Two massive selling but inoffensive new metal acts is what Joel McIver says. This is what Jason has to say. He says it's a joke. I think Metallica are just a joke. I don't think they have any idea. Fumed Newstead. I'm a fan of Metallica again. I did my thing in there and felt good, and I'm proud of that shit, and I'm more proud than sour. But that's the integrity down the fucking tube. Why can't they take out wow. Strapping Young Lad? Why can't they take out In Flames? What, are they do- what they're doing now is such an obvious cash thing and has nothing to do with the music that we're supposed to be fighting for. A little later, he offered Metallica a quote-unquote head-to-head contest on stage at which he vowed Voivod would kick Metallica's ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is some angry Jason for sure. It really is, yeah. He later told Classic Rock, I can't even get my breath about it. I'm actually flabbergasted. As a fan of theirs, I'm disappointed and freaked out by all this. They had the opportunity to come back as leaders to take out bands such as In Flames, Strapping Young Lad, and Voivod, bands that deserve to be seen. Metallica are the only ones with that kind of opportunity. Do they really think it'll sell them more than a couple of fucking thousand tickets if Linkin Park or whoever are on the bill? No, there are people out there who still want metal and it's too bad it wasn't addressed in that way. So <laughs> just really getting his sort of, you know, pure, uh, wanting to keep it pure, a lot of the integrity thing of Jason, but then also mixed with that kind of one of the, some of the first little inklings in the press of him being bitter and mean, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's just, it's just so weird to hear you read that and, and hear that side of Jason where he sounds very frustrated and, you know, um, yeah, so interesting. And you know, I mean, he, he's kind of right, you know. I'd I'd rather, you know, see, you know, fucking Flotsam and Jetsam over <laughs> over fucking uh Mudvayne. Yeah, right. Okay, the other interesting thing about the tour being announced is that it will have been the first proper tour that Rob would be doing as the bass player for Metallica. So I'm sure he was nervous and stoked and and ready for that you know oh yeah february 11th 53rd and 3rd is released on the we're a happy family tribute to the ramones which was produced by johnny ramone and rob zombie who did the artwork and stephen king wrote the liner notes which i didn't know any of those things that's a cool comp man i i I remember buying that in atlanta what's that cool record store in little five points down there um wax and facts wax and and facts yeah. yeah 
Yeah, I remember. I remember buying the CD of this. There, only I only bought it because Metallica was on it, and then I saw a bunch of other great bands on there too. And it's a, it's a really good compilation. It's a really cool CD, little shitty rock club right across from Wax and Facts called um, the Star Club. Did you ever play there? No, we always played at the, uh, the little theater in Five Points. Variety, the Variety, Variety Playhouse. Variety Playhouse. That's yeah, it. Yeah, another great place. Um, uh, other artists featured on the album were the Chili Peppers, Eddie Vedder, Manson, Garbage, Green Day, Kiss, U2, Rancid, The Pretenders, Pete Yorn, and The Offspring. Pretty pretty bitchin' track list, man. Yeah, pretty. A lot of heavy hitters on there, man. There's a lot of great tunes on there. The U2 one's awesome. The Ransom one's great. Green Day. All sorts of good stuff. This was stuff that they, you know, the they recorded four or five songs for this, and the other, the ones that weren't chosen ended up being released on one of the uh, singles. We'll get to that shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh, February 24th, Robert Trujillo officially joins Metallica. Give it up for Roberto. Roberto. I love that dude. Mucho gusto. I love him I so know, much. Man. Now, I wanted to read He's from awesome. the uh, press release. There's some of the, the things the boys had to say about Robert joining the band. This is the press release. We're so psyched and proud to share the news that we're welcoming another brother to the family. We've all known and have been huge fans of Rob since the early 90s when he was a part of the legendary hardcore metal band Suicidal Tendencies. We got to know Rob when we played together with Suicidal in Europe in 93 during the November, during the Nowhere Else to Rome tour. We were impressed by Rob's roaring bass style and his very cool, unique vibe on stage, which is basically code for crab. That's crab code. Crab walk, yeah. Oh, yeah, crab code. Things we got to see again during the 94 Summer Shit Tour when Suicidal joined forces with us. Trujillo himself added, I'm very stoked and excited and look forward to my new journey with my Metallica brothers. Step up, he says. Yeah. Which is an interesting Step up. thing to see. He says that. That's what's Step in there. Step up, man. <laughs> or maybe he was just really wanting to watch the movie Step Up. Or maybe he was exercising on a Stairmaster and, and he had to step up li- yeah. physically, literally. God, we, need, we need to get to the bottom of that. It says, Lars was beside himself with excitement. When Rob came to San Francisco the first time and jammed with us, we all felt this incredible magic between the four of us. It was just something we could not describe. We all knew it. Bob Rock told us right after the jam that it sounded like a fucking 747 taken off. Ooh. I'm so excited to be a full unit again in the last two years of just being the three of us have taught me so much about myself, about James and Kirk, and about Metallica. And to welcome Robin to Metallica in 03 after all the growth and soul-searching we've been through for the last two years feels awesome. That's great. Being at full strength again is, at this moment, indescribable. Aww. All, they all kind of say nice things. The thing that bums me out, and this is in the... Um, this is in the documentary a little bit is when they, they kind of like hammer the point that like, yeah. And he plays with his fingers like Cliff did. Like Cliff did. And it's like, it's like a dig at Jason, you know, it's like a little bit. Yeah. Jason famously played with a pick. It's like, right. ah, yeah. I don't have to do that. Come on, guys. I always thought it was funny in the documentary when, when Lars, uh, never really mentions Rob's name, but he always says like that guy. He's like, I think that, you know, that, that guy, you know, plays like Cliff. Like, you know his name. Come on. Right. It's weird because we know that they, like, stayed up all night drinking together. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it might have been a thing maybe before the documentary. Like, hey, let's not act like you've known this guy for, you know, 12 years at this point or whatever, 10 years. You know, Here's how I'm feeling if... Right. I, no, I totally agree. Here's how I'm feeling if I'm Rob Trujillo after a harrowing day where you're auditioning for the biggest band ever. Here's how I'm feeling at 2 a.m. when I'm hammered with Lars and we're and the vibe is we're having a good time. I'm feeling really good. I got the gig for sure. <laughs> exactly. Feeling really good about that. Okay. Uh, April 8th. So the St. Anger recording sessions end. And they begin mastering it on the 9th through 11th. Now, I put out the bat signal to Paul Moak. I don't know if you saw that text even. I did, yeah. Of seeing if he wanted to hop on and explain to us a little bit about mastering. But I think he's got a lot going on. So let's try to... 
Let's try to briefly <laughs> distill what Paul might have said about the mastering process. So people have heard that when you make a record, you track it, right? You record all the instruments. Yeah. Then there's the mixing process, which is a separate thing where you take everything you recorded and you tighten them up. Maybe you make some decisions on, maybe you have a whole folder full of different vocals for one song and you go and pick the best phrasing and words. So you, that's called a comp track, a compilation of mm-hmm. all, the, all the takes he did. You clean all that up. Also in the mixing is when you add things like compression and EQ, you add reverb and delay. Uh, you make creative decisions like that with the sound of the things you recorded. Right. Then you get all that done. Now, how would you describe the last step, which some would even argue is the most important part, which is the mastering process? You make it louder. Uh, honestly, un- unfortunately, a lot of people think that's what it is. Like, oh, this made it louder. Uh, I couldn't give you, obviously, a near in-depth exp- explanation than, than Paul could. But uh, mastering is kind of like, it is it is that icing on the cake that, that really makes it feel and sound like it really should. Um, it's a, you know, a, a process where, yes, it will make it louder, but in, in also in that process, um, it makes it wider. It makes it a fuller sound. You know, you're not, it's, it's not mixing because you're just taking one wave file per, you know, each song and working on that song. It might be a little bit more EQ, a little more compression, things like that. Um, and it, it just expands on what you already did in the studio and makes it sound bigger and greater. Now they're there in, in some cases, you know, like with death magnetic, you know, the master engineer was given, final mixes that were already way too loud and so that's where they ran into all these audio issues so um there's a lot of great master engineers here that you know i've used and paul's used and clint's used i'm sure and um it's a different kind of art for sure yeah that was all a good explanation and another thing that mastering does is you take you take all those mixes the bounces of the mix and then when you master them all together you're also making sure that there's a cohesion sonically between Mm -hmm. all the songs in terms of the level and the compression, so that it all sounds like a, a, a you know one unit, one project, right? And also in mastering, that that's where it's usually decided how close you want the songs together. Sometimes you'll listen to certain records, and it's like the songs are almost butted right up against each other. And sometimes I like that for like a big energetic record. There's like no silence almost, uh, or or oftentimes you'll hear songs almost overlap. You'll hear that like in hip hop a lot or whatever, where you know some samples fading out, and all of a sudden this other one comes in. You know, a lot of that stuff is done in mastering as well. So there you go. And uh, we miss you, Paul. Paul? Paul. 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 April 30th, they do the video shoot for St. Anger at San Quentin, which was fascinating. And this is also in the documentary. There was the no hostage policy, mm-hmm. meaning that if one of the boys got uh, kidnapped while in there and uh, they were not going to basically let any prisoners out as a, as a barter to release Metallica. Because you can imagine that, right? There's Metallica, yeah. very famous rock stars. One of these crazy guys gets a hold of him and says, I'm going to kill this motherfucker unless you let let me go. Mm-hmm. They basically tell anyone going in there, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're not going to help you. Yeah, You're going to live there now. It was nerve-wracking for the boys, I'm sure. I mean, you remember that footage? I mean, they're, they're kind of in front of the cells, and there's dudes above them, behind them, and not just like two or three dudes. And these are actual prisoners in this thing. So these aren't actors. I personally don't understand rock and roll's fascination with going to prisons. Like... 
here's me if I'm a famous guy and my management's like, oh, you know, you know, we should do. Um, We should go do this at San Quentin. Here's me. Here's me in the very first pitch meeting for that idea. Oh, uh, no. (laughs) Absolutely not. Like going to like shoot a video, right? Well, think about it. Like, you know, Johnny Cash famously Folsom Prison, right? Right, of course. Bob Dylan during the Rolling Thunder review went and played for a prison where Hurricane Carter was, this boxer that, anyway, that's mm-hmm. a long story. And, uh, you know, Metallica's going to go to San... And they're like, no, no, no. See, the idea is like St. Anger, like it's just brutal and it'll be you, but you'll really be in San Quentin. It'll add this like really real thing to it. It'll be angry. Right. Here's me and here's me hearing that second pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me think about it again. Hold on. No! <laughs> I I can understand going in and using it as like a, a, f- a filming location for your new music video. Uh, in general, a lot of people, you know, I mean, I've got friends that go play for prisoners and stuff. And there's different types of people that like, or some of the booking agents that facilitate that stuff. And a lot of it, you know, um, prison outreach and stuff like that is to kind of help be a small part of that rehabilitation process, which oftentimes in our country, the normal rehabilitation process isn't that great. So I know a lot of people that go in there just to kind of help give a little extra encouragement to these dudes. They're turning, they're trying to turn their lives around and are trying to stay on the right path until they get out and stuff like that. So I respect that. Um, I would go do something like that, but as far as like, Hey, let's go film and we're going to have all these prisoners just surrounding. Can you guess if I would go do something like that? No. The answer is no. I mean, I don't want to sound <laughs> cold about it, but I'm not putting myself in any kind of weird danger situation situation no, to, it's to understandable. help help criminals. I mean, you know, I I'll I'll throw some money, I'll donate money to an organization that maybe pays for those bands to go in there, but I'm not fucking doing it. No way. Yeah. I just I just you know, just from personal experience in people in my past that have gone through stuff like this, I I I kind of have a, a bit of a soft spot in my heart for uh kind of what people like that do as far as entertaining uh prisoners and stuff like that but um and really it's just the coming in with the message of hope i think is what really you know kind of gravitates me towards it but I, again it's either either decision yes or no to go do this is totally fine i don't know man i don't have a lot of hope that that's that helpful but enough of me sounding like a total jerk i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> It's just how I feel. I'm sorry. Um, that, reading Jason's quotes earlier, that's where I'm getting that from, I think. That's right. You're just channeling that angry 2003 Jason. So they make the video, which uh, even speaking of all that trouble they went through, and it was a different time, right? MTV was even even different in 2003 than mm-hmm. it is now, of course. But I don't think I've ever watched that video more than like five times. It's not like it's a video that just really fucking changed the world or anything. I don't remember anything that special about it. I just remember being exciting because they they looked energetic and it did look kind of tough, you know, prison bars behind you and stuff like that. Um, plus, I think I was just exciting, like, oh my god, new Metallica content, you know? Yeah. Um, and watching the video, I remember seeing that before I got the record and thinking, like, okay, it sounds a little weird, but the song is fast, and they were right. It is a re- return to thrash, and that was really the only song that was that that thrashy but i think by the time i saw the video i I, the horrible dawning of the record had already happened to me because my first thing was and we'll come up on this this actually one of the next notes but my first thing was seeing them do frantic at the mtv icon that was literally the first Mm -hmm. i ever saw of any of the stuff and heard a single bit of the new album and i think even then i was like "Ooh, Ooh, ah, oh no so (laughs) So another cool thing about I mean this is kind of cool. Uh they didn't just film the video there. They actually played a show for the prisoners, right? Okay, so 
yeah. you know, getting into your hopeful things and your buddies have done this. That's cool. And I do, I tried to find it, but I couldn't find it. Maybe I'll spend a few more minutes trying to find it. But James gives a pretty interesting speech, you know, to the prisoners about mm-hmm. how music has changed his life and saved his life. And he says something like, I know if it weren't for music, I'd be in here with you and stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. But the cool thing about that too is that basically that's Robert's first show, his real show it was at San Quentin. Yeah. I know. Crazy. Right. Um, Metall- uh, May 3rd, <laughs> Metallica 3rd. Uh, is when they taped the MTV icon in Los Angeles. And this is it's an interesting conversation you can see them have behind the scenes in the documentary where they basically get the call from MTV to do that. Right. And they're trying to decide if they should do it. They're talking to to uh, Cliff Bernstein. You remember that part of the documentary? Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And that was Robert's first public appearance as a member, which I remember feeling was a little awkward. And we've done a whole episode on MTV icons, so you can go check mm-hmm. it out. We review all the performances. I'm sure coming up, once we crack the code on screen sharing, We'll do a commentary episode where we can kind of watch it together and you can watch Snoop Dogg doing Snap a True. Watch Snoop Dogg, dude. Avril Lavigne, Sum Forty One, good grief. So, you know what? Sum Forty One was actually really good in that one. Actually, everyone yeah. did pretty good. I thought, well, Stained it just bores me to death. Oh, no that was horrible. So no, no, that, that was horrible. I didn't, I didn't love Corn doing one either. But I loved whatever. It. You, you can go back and listen to our episode on MTV Icon. We we go in way more depth. May 18th through May 22nd. This is cool. Metallica plays five nights at the Fillmore in San Francisco, an awesome rock club, big rock club. Mm-hmm. CKY opens, and they played a different set list every night, and there were a lot of deep cuts. Check this out. Leper, Phantom, No Remorse, Damaging, Thing That Should Not Be, Fight Fire, Lightning. All of those are played throughout over awesome. those five nights. That's so cool. The gig on the 21st is where they played San Anger for the first time. On the 27th, a week later, the music video for St. Anger premieres, and I'm now imagining uh, Ethan Luck sitting somewhere in California, glued to his television, trying to understand the new Metallica song. Wait a second. Just trying to process it, because it's a lot to process. It It is, yeah. I wonder if all these years later that that St. Anger is one of your favorite songs from that album, which bewilders me, but I wonder if it's tied to that moment of you seeing the video it and, and it, it was like the new Metallica thing and you were kind of down on Load and Reload at the time. So maybe for you, the the heavier parts of it was more aggressive. Maybe you, you were endeared to it in that way. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I, I, by 2003, I was, I was kind of coming back online with like the Load Era stuff going like, man, this stuff's really good. Yeah, I think it was just exciting because it, it was a new Metallica studio album, you know, and it's it'd been a while. And, uh, you know, aside from Garage Inc., of course, which isn't originals, but we had S&M, but this was just exciting because it was new material, new original Metallica material. Uh, and so yeah. I think I kind of just was like, oh, that's, the drums sound a little weird and production is kind of detuned and whatever. But I really was, made me excited for the record to come out, you know, and then we'll get to my reaction <laughs> after that. May 29th, Metallica plays Top of the Pops at the BBC Studios. They play Frantic and St. Anger. Ooh, dis- disappointing two-song set there. Wow. May 31st through June 28th, they play mostly a festival tour, which I think was cool. Mixed set list. You know, they weren't really playing. They were really only playing these two songs Mm -hmm. on the album. So otherwise, it was just sort of business as usual, Metallica. June 5th, the album St. Anger is released. And of course, we have a whole episode on how the album performed. It went to number one. Uh, critics were divided. It's obviously historically a, a very interesting time for them. The the mm-hmm. yet another album like Justice be be set with sonic issues, and then of course Death Magnetic would complete the trilogy of strange <laughs> sounding characteristics of albums for them. Um, June twenty third, the Saint Anger singles release. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, what, what was Tom Quee's thing about um, sonically dehydrated or something like that? You can call I, those three I records. I can't even this, remember what that. It's well, it's something along those lines. So, so 
Justice, Saint Anger, and Death Magnetic could be the 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 sonic sonically dehydrated trilogy by Tom <laughs> dehydrated. Quaid. June twenty third, the Saint Anger singles released. <clears throat> this is the one where the B sides were those other Ramones covered. So if you're a big Ramones fan, mm-hmm. which I know the boys are, yeah, same here. That's kind of a fun treat to hear all those. Uh, I don't know how Ethan how they stack up against the originals for you. Is there? Any thoughts on that, being a Ramones guy? I mean, they're way heavier, obviously, than the Ramones stuff. The Ramones stuff, I mean, they barely recorded two guitar tracks. There's some of that stuff where there's literally a one bass, one guitar, drums, and vocals. Um, I thought they chose uh, all, I mean, all deep cuts, for sure. They didn't really choose any big Ramones songs. The 53rd and 3rd would be the most popular of the ones they they chose. Commando's another one that's a really good song, but again, not a huge, you know, well-known Ramones song. Uh, more of a deep cut, but I, I, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I like, you know, I always enjoy hearing some of my favorite bands covering, you know, a band they're influenced by and, and, and do it justice. All right, cool. Now, this is a kind of a strange thing here. Okay, we're going to camp out here for a second. Sometime in June, Metallica finds out their music's being used by the U.S. military to torture Iraqi prisoners as an interrogation device. And I've got some quotes from the boys kind of being kind of reacting to that information mm-hmm. which is a strange thing to be told right oh hey by the way it's like someone's using your you know let it burn album to torture people hey, I, I'm, I'm sure i'm sure it'd be effective well here's what james said about that and i gotta say i don't i'm not loving it okay yeah so asked by thrasher magazine in a recent interview if he's offended at all by the cia's use of metallica's music to torture prisoners hetfield said well, first he makes a very Hetfield joke. He says, ha, we've tortured people with it for a long time, a lot longer than the CIA. <laughs> he continued, I've got nothing to say about it, really. I'm honored my country's using something to help us stay safe, if they are. But then again, once the music's out, I don't have control over that. Just like how someone's giving it away online, they're using it to do what they do. So that's him basically saying, I don't want to get in trouble here, but I kind of think it's cool. But I'm also making sure you know that I can't control what people do with my music. Which is very sort of PR, right? Um, Yeah, he says there's plenty of Metallica cover bands. There's plenty of people doing in their Sandman or nothing else matters and Gregorian style, bluegrass style, or Celtic harp combos. He says, and you know the music's out there and it gets used. So there you go. Asked about Kerry King's comment that Slayer's music would have been scarier and maybe more effective in psychologically (laughs) torturing prisoners of war. Hetfield said, "I agree, no doubt about that. But there's still even scarier stuff than Slayer too." Uh, let's <laughs> it's see. true though in, in a 2009 appearance on MSNBC's Rachel Maddow show so Lars Ahorik was on the Rachel Maddow show it's, I need to look that up yes, Lars was also asked about the band's music being used to psychologically torture prisoners he responded there's a lot of Metallica music that's helping a lot of scared 18, 19 and 20 year old kids out there who are on the front lines and who are doing a hell of a job on behalf of you and me and the rest of us but obviously when you hear stories like the one you're telling it all seems so bizarre and strange that Metallica's music which generally sort of facilitates bringing people together as being used in these bizarre circumstances. It's certainly not something that we in any way advocate or condone. So, you know, in this issue, you get both pillars of Metallica coming coming to the issue from both of their pretty different worldviews, right? You've got right, Hetfield's yeah. don't tread on me kind of rednecky guy being like, well, I, it's an honor. <laughs> and then you've got <laughs> Lars, is what it is. who's definitely the European, you know, uh, liberal guy going, uh, we certainly don't advocate or condone that. It's really weird. Our music is being used to, is used to bring people together. And I like the point that he makes is like, you know, a lot of soldiers love our music and our music helps get them through it. But that's different than 
the country yeah. using the music as a weapon that's that's different yeah that to me I, I think i'd be i'd be in lars's boat where like i wouldn't con- i wouldn't condone that <clears throat> you know i mean i don't know that just i'd be like stop it immediately I, I would i would immediately want them to stop yeah very uneasy about it, it would it would make me feel kind of sick to my stomach like like okay let's put this in terms that that are really clear for me right so like if someone had like a pedophile right and they're like, hey, we're going to torture this pedophile. Here's me generally about that. All right, great. Sounds good. Um, but we want to torture him using like your art that you created. Here's me again. Uh, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Just no, no, no. You, just, you, you, you know, use the traditional. Put him just in an Iron Maiden do. for all I can. Yeah, definitely kill the guy and torture him. I hate that guy. But uh, don't, <laughs> use my, don't use my stuff to do it. Yeah, it just seems weird. Yeah, yeah, someone di- dying, but you know, and being tortured by your music, or not by, but in, you know, in addition to your music playing to encourage that mental behavior to, to deteriorate or something, however it works. You know, <laughs> here, here's here's me if I'm James or Lars after reading Jason's comments. Well, have you considered Entombed? <laughs> have you considered Voivod? Have you considered Meshuga? Echo Brain makes a great torture device. Uh, July 2nd, the full summer sanitarium dress rehearsal gig happens for Friends, Family, and Met Club members. And uh, it was at the Pontiac Silverdome in Detroit. Frantic and St. Anger played. So that was kind of their invite all their buddies. Uh, two days later, they would start the tour proper at the same venue that lasts through August 10th. And then, of course, through throughout this touring stuff, a bunch of the rollout for for St. Anger is happening. Right. It was mostly stadiums, too, which I thought was really impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, it was also a pretty stacked lineup as well. Right. July 21st, the frantic video shoot happened, shot in Montreal, directed by longtime Metallica director Wayne Isham. That dude's just, he's the fifth member. He really is. August 15th, the frantic music video premieres. I don't really remember. We've we've done, by the way, for those of you interested, we've covered all of Metallica's music videos through St. Anger. Um, we still mm-hmm. need to hit on, uh, uh, you know, Death Magnetic and all the hardwired videos. But yeah, for sure. Maybe we can, once we crack the code on the screen sharing, do that too. Uh, August 20th through 21st. Oh, that, that's not right. It must be the 24th or something. They did like four dates, festival dates in Germany, Ireland, and England. They did the Leeds and Reading festivals. Big, big, awesome. huge shows. Oh, those are massive. You've yeah. done those with Kings, right? Yeah, they're, they're huge. Yeah, that that stuff. Uh, Hyde Park is another big popular one that's massive. Right. Um, it's crazy to see to look out at the crowd and see that many. You can't see the end of people. It's insane. The end of people. The end of people by Ethan Locke. The year is twenty twenty one. We are in the fourth wave of the, the coronavirus pandemic, and music has ceased. Completely. We'd like to welcome you now to the end of people. We end our <laughs> lives, Ethan, as more. We end our lives as people. <laughs> August 28th, Metallica performs at the VMAs. This is one of the biggest head scratchers ever. It's real weird. We're going to play a clip here now of what they played, and then we'll talk about it. Give it up for Metallica.
They played Go My Way, Teen Spirit, Seven Nation Army, Beat It, and Frantic as a some yeah. strange medley. Well, it was weird. It was like, wasn't it Chris Rock? Chris Rock introduced them, yeah. He introduces them, and they play this little medley of other songs, and it goes back to Chris Rock, and then they go back to closing the show with Frantic. It was just, I don't understand, like, whose idea was it? Like, hey, I want you to play a medley of... of not like songs from that year's VMA, right? But like just, just, just whatever. Michael Jackson. Well, what's go my way? That's like that's like ninety four. Then they go to Teen Spirit ninety one. Then something a little more contemporary, Jack White. Then the fucking beat it Thriller. Then they then they play. The, it's like were it they was real weird? Were they scared to just play Fran? Like I I don't know. I don't understand it. I like you know what would have been really cool a medley of like the Kill Ride medley Their or songs? something. Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it sounds okay. Yeah, no, it doesn't sound bad at all, but it's just kind of weird. It's like, please welcome Metallica, and they're like kind of yeah, Rob's in like dicky shorts, like a white Peter James is in like a trucker hat. It looks like there's, I mean, they look cool. I mean, James looked cool. I still thought, but it's like, I guess, man, you're like you're kind of like debuting your new song on the VMA. I don't know. It was just it was just a definite weird point in their in their uh, TV history. Another really fascinating thing to me too about this time is that James is playing a lot of that Uncle Milty gibson uh les paul yes. custom i think it's Absolutely. before he would end up putting i think it's before the cross is on it maybe even before the racing strike but it's that guitar right and it's it's a it's painful to me in a, a little bit to have my favorite headful guitar so closely tied to this album you know it's like oh man <laughs> yeah august 29th metallica plays easily one of my top five clubs in the entire world the bowery ballroom in new york city a tiny club maybe 500 mm-hmm. people and I was looking, you know, on most of the shows on Metallica's website, because they've had people around them, as we know, since like the late 80s, there's just pictures of all the tuning room stuff and them warming up. And to see them in a green room that I've been in a million times, like, right. I'm like, yeah, that's that green room. To see Metallica in there is just a trip, dude. I know. It's pretty awesome. It's really cool. It's like it's like coming to Nashville if you go to go see a show at the basement. The OG basement, and you walk in, you're like, fucking Metallica played here before Bonnaroo. This is insane. Moving right along here. We're almost done. September 22nd, the Frantic single is released. October 15th, they shoot a video for The Unnamed Feeling at Little Joe's Restaurant in Los Angeles. It's interesting to me that that they were already thinking about that as a single. I know. Before some kind of monster. Right. Not one you would expect. October 25th, November through November 14th, Metallica had scheduled a 10-day tour of South America and Japan, but canceled it due to physical and mental exhaustion. Those poor South American people. I know, man. It's constantly shit on. <laughs> That's prob- that, that, this is probably a big reason why you're always seeing Brazil in comment sections. Right. They, they, they still haven't gotten, all the time. They still have, yeah, they still haven't gotten over 2003. I know that those dates <laughs> yeah. are still rescheduled for the end of the year, but I just don't see it happening, dude. I don't see it happening either. I mean, I know that I'm not doing anything the rest of the year. And if I'm not, then Metallica definitely is not. <laughs> right. Well, what they do is they wait and see what you're going to do, and then they, they base yeah. their touring off of what Ethan Luck does, which yeah, makes I mean, sense. smart. If you think about yeah, it. that's smart. November 11th, the band live debuts The Unnamed Feeling in Tokyo, Japan. And we're going to hear a little clip of that right now just to get some of the flavors. Check it out. Mm-hmm.
It's you know what it is? It's not great. No, it's not great. The problem is the song. It's just not a great song. And right. you get that you put the coolest band in the world on a stage in front of 40,000 people who are screaming about how much they love them. That should just be a no-brainer. Whatever you do up there in your world you mm-hmm. created and you created it with your own hands, anything you do up there should kill. And yeah, this song doesn't kill it. It comes off really awkward. It seems like it's really hard to play live. Not not mm-hmm. in terms of technicality, but just hard to get the mood and the all the all the chunky rubbing of yeah. it together. And it just comes off clunky like they're covering a shitty song. Now it worked on the album because they they put a bunch of well <laughs> by St. Anger standards, a bunch of TLC on it, right? It's got background vocals. Of course. It's chopped up, it's mixed. Hearing them clunk through it live is just like, oh bro hard i'd imagine it was pretty hard back then to take these songs from saint anger and translate a lot of them live because as we saw in the documentary a lot of these songs were just riffs they're like let's just they weren't piecing it together before they came in the studio they're doing it on the fly in the studio like take that part scoot it over there i'd imagine by the time we're doing with the record their brains were like i don't remember how that song even goes anymore you know so when it came time to learn something a deep cut like a name feeling it was like uh how'd that go again so probably took some time to get used to playing it right live but i mean yeah i don't know that's just kind of my best guess the well i mean the truth is the songs just don't work that well live and yeah yeah, very true and 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 metallica is a band that's always prided themselves on being a live band and so you know the deal ethan if the song's not really working live even if you captured something kind of cool about it on, on tape but if it's not working live it's not really then it doesn't work. It's got to work on the yeah. deck, right? Don't you agree? For sure. Has to. I absolutely, absolutely do. It has to work. And if it doesn't work on the deck, that means there's something wrong with it fundamentally that you can you can mm-hmm. fix on an album because you can make it sound otherworldly. You can just, you can put a, a million fucking keys and background vocals and strings and you can, we call it polishing a turd. That's what we call it. You're right, exactly. But taking those tracks and only, and, and you're not playing any live backing tracks, nothing like that no extra musicians on stage it's just the four of you to try to recreate the sound that maybe sounded a lot different in the studio so it is tough plus it's just not that great of a song i do like the song it's right not a, well i do that too well written yeah yeah i'm with you on well, that. I mean, you, you covered it <laughs> but my version of that sounds completely different completely you could play you could play that in tokyo no problem on cover hour black and volume one that album opens up with my sort of acoustic piano driven version of the unnamed feeling you can find it on youtube and i think it's on spotify and Bandcamp. you can mm-hmm. find it anywhere who gives a shit it's out there somewhere uh november 16th metallica performed saint anger at the american music awards they were nominated for best alternative artists they did not win on the second through the 20th they toured through europe again that year ending with two nights at earl's court in london so even despite the strangeness of the album, it was pretty clear that people were really excited to see them live. They were just selling the shit out of tickets oh, yeah. that year. 
totally. December 3rd, the Unnamed Feeling video premieres, which I really like the video. The video is really creepy in this room that's kind of getting smaller. Yes, we it is really cool. That. They, uh, and also on December 3rd, while they were in Europe, they, they performed Dirty Window for the first time in Oslo, which by the way, Dirty Window works a lot better than Unnamed Feeling. I think so too. Well, I mean, on, on record, there's not much extra sauce on that song. It's just kind of like the four yeah. dudes doing their thing. So yeah, that translates better live. Plus I, that's a super energetic song too. So if you are a little slop slop with it, you know, it might not come across that way live. Right. And then the year ends with a December 31st gig, a New Year's Eve gig at the Joint in Vegas. Frantic Dirty Window and St. Anger are played. And that wraps up 2003, the, the sort of first real taste of, of the boys touring heavily again, the album coming out. Yeah, Rob's first year. Rob's first year touring with the band, that's right, new bass player. So it's, it's in a lot of ways, it's a new beginning. It's, it's a new chapter mm-hmm. for Metallica. It's good to see them doing their thing again. Of course, we have the benefit of hindsight all these years later. We have a place to put this record. We know that Death Magnetic is coming. But at the time, this is definitely when I got off the ride. This is when I looked at what was happening, you know, with the with the boys and thought, mm-hmm. okay, I, I can't really hang with this right now. I can't hang with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I, I've said it, I don't know, 20 times in the last three and a half years. I put the CD in and I was in bar my mom's car to drive to the Bay Area to visit my now wife. I was like, sorry, we got to go pick this up. Just went through all the tracks. Didn't even make it through every single song or every full song and just tossed it in the back of the car. I was like, nope, can't do it. Yeah. Um, now, like both of us, you know, some songs have grown on me. You know, the production will never really grow on me. But some of the songs have Dirty Window, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, we've talked a lot about this. I, I wonder how long we can keep saying the same things without our listeners getting bored. But this point, <laughs> this, this point, this point is really important, right? Is that the album represents something a lot bigger than just a collection of 10 songs. It, it's, it, it represents something they had to get out, you know, something that uh-huh. saved the band. And, right. and in that way, as a document, it's fascinating. And I kind of can't imagine Metallica without it now. And we're, as we move into to 2004 and especially with the documentary, you know, I mean, yeah, the documentary is when you really start to put the record and it's in a more important place. Maybe not a record that you listen to the way you fucking jam to lightning, but yeah, in totally. a way of like, well, the, the the record represents something spiritual about the band that I think is really important, and I think it saved the band that that process and that time. So I think so too. Yeah, in that in that way, it's one of the most interesting records they've ever made, right? It really is, yeah. And a lot of that information you just described, we didn't even kind of have a grasp on until the documentary came out, and. You, and even the first watch through that documentary is kind of like, okay, these dudes are just a wreck. What the heck, man? What happened to my favorite band? But the more you watch it, I don't. This is the case for me. The more I realize, like what you just said, like man, they had to finish this record. Can you imagine them yeah. starting over for a third time? I don't think Metallica would have survived that. It's interesting. Well, you know, I'm uh, I'm glad we're kind of back doing a proper episode. It feels good. And uh, yeah, we let's just say to the listeners out there, we've um. We've been investing in some software and some cameras and stuff, and, and we're really hoping starting next week to be able to get some some more content, and uh, uh, we're going to be doing video stuff. So there's good stuff around the horizon. We're going to watch that Bay Area Thrash thing. We've got a ton of mm-hmm. Metallica stuff to cover. Michael Alago reached out last night. He's got a new book out. Uh, those of you remember, our first real guest was Michael Alago, the guy who signed right, Metallica yeah. to Electro Records. He's a good friend of our of the show and a good friend of ours. We want to have him back on. 
to talk about his new book. He has the documentary that you guys all remember called Who the Fuck Is That Guy? The Story of Michael Alago. Right. And then, of course, we're going to keep checking out these Metallica Mondays. So you're going to be seeing this on a normal Sunday night midnight drop. And then we will have to assess what's going on with the Metallica Mondays and decide if we're going to do that. Uh, we still got some metal tales in the can, and I still want to. I still want to do the occasional radio episodes, Ethan. So, yeah, a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. Absolutely, and hopefully, we can. Uh, we, when we're talking about watching that Murder in the Front Row documentary, hopefully, we can, we can do a night where we can uh, socially distance and do it on the uh, projector in your backyard. Yeah, well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna figure that out because that would be nice. It'd be fun, yeah. So, in the meantime, we hope you're all taking care of yourselves. Thank you for listening. We absolutely adore and love the Metal Up Your Podcast community. If you like the show, please clickety-clack your way over. Leave a quick little brief positive review on iTunes. Let your buddies know. You can always um, mention us or add us or reach out to us on all the socials. We tend to retweet or repost anything people who mention us positively, Mm -hmm, of course. And then the Patreon is is there for those of you who... um, are willing and able and who think the show has value it's basically like a couple of cups of coffee a month if imagine if you were our neighbor and you really like the show and you were like i would like to give you a cup of joe well thank you sir it's patreon.com slash metal up your podcast and of course for ethan and i as professional musicians that sort of support really means a lot to us in this time and we're going to leave you with ethan's wonderful cover of the hollow notes classic out of touch a quarantine cover number 19 or 20 we're up so there. we're getting up there So everyone take care of yourselves. We hope you're staying safe. And uh, we'll see you guys later on the flip-flop. Peace. Adios. Yeah.
Delete that.